You know our trusted partner, TireRack.com, for their fast, free shipping, free road hazard protection, convenient installation options, and their great selection of best tires, like the highly consumer-rated Firestone Destination AT2. But did you know they sell other automotive products? Wheels, brakes, suspension, just to name a few. Go to TireRack.com slash Colin, TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. Smart journalism. Fascinating topics. Words that describe CNN's podcast, The Assignment with Audie Cornish. We are revisiting the public school culture wars. What have we learned from the kids who fought against book bans? We really started the club to get students reading these books. Students have an opinion in this fight, too. How has the war over books sparked a backlash to the so-called parents' rights movement? It's not okay what they're doing, and they're being watched. Listen to The Assignment with Audie Cornish. Streaming now on the iHeartRadio app. Hey, this is John Ridley. And this is Matt Carey, documentary editor at Deadline. And welcome to Talk Talk. John, we've got a hard-hitting episode today. A lot of controversy. Well, maybe we should put the word controversy in quotes in the documentary field about the nominees for Best Documentary Feature. We're going to get into that with some amazing panelists. You get a shot, but the individuals behind every one of those images, they're complicated and they are human. This has been Doc Talk. Thank you. Great conversation. Are you self-conscious about your smile due to stains? Have you ever wished that you had a whiter and brighter smile? Smile Actives is a safe and affordable alternative to expensive whitening procedures. You simply add Smile Actives gel to your toothpaste every time you brush your teeth, making it the easiest teeth whitening solution out there. In a clinical trial, Smile Actives users reported up to five shades whiter on average, all within seven days. No change to your routine, no extra time. Right now, they are running a buy one, get one offer. Hurry to smileactives.com iHeart today to receive this special offer with free shipping and handling. From football playoffs to basketball madness, TCL Roku TVs are the best way to stream your favorite live sports. With all the biggest sports channels, a sports zone with all available games in one place, and apps like iHeartRadio with sports podcasts such as The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Cheering on your favorite team has never been easier. A big screen TCL Roku TV offers premium picture and sound quality, so you'll feel like you're right in the action. Find the perfect TCL Roku TV for you today at Amazon.com. This is Straight Fire with Jason McIntyre. What is up, Straight Fire fam? It's me, Jason McIntyre. Straight Fire for Thursday, May 26th. And uh, your boy's a little tired this morning, folks. Played a little soccer last night. Got another soccer tournament coming up. And I'm just drained, fatigued. Uh, The soccer sweat is totally different than a basketball sweat. You think you're in shape, and then you got to go run and play soccer. Oh my gosh, it's brutal. But I don't know what's more brutal, um, my fatigue level or the Eastern Conference Finals, because another snoozer. Miami, 80. Boston, 93. The game stunk. Let's be real. It was close for a half. Celtics peel off a 24-2 run in the third quarter. And once again, we have garbage time in the fourth quarter. Like hot garbage. Like not even worth watching. It was so bad. The this movie, The Internship, was on HBO, and my son, you know, is big into um, you know, computers and stuff. So I'm telling him like, oh, these guys are trying to get an internship at Google, and we'll watch the movie. And you know, I'm obviously watching the NBA game in the other room, and 
the game was so bad. I came and watched the end of the internship with him. It's like, come on, I, I've seen it before. Obviously, Owen uh, Owen Wilson, Vince Vaughn, and it's not a terrible movie. It's not great, but it passes the time. And he loved it. And I was like, all right, next up will be um, Social. I think it's called Social Dilemma, or uh, the one with um, the, about Facebook. So social something, but it's incredible. Uh, the movie's awesome. Uh, one of my favorites. I still remember seeing it in the cinema with the wife, who was, I think, the girlfriend then, because this was a while ago, and that movie was awesome. I'm, and it, anytime it's on cable, I watch it. It's it's captivating. What's not captivating is Miami Heat basketball. No Tyler Hero again. No offensive identity. Thirty one percent from the field. Seven of forty five from three. They're starting backcourt. Remember how. Luca, oh, Luca's not getting any help. Uh, Bullock and Kleber were a combined 0 for 15. The Heat starting backcourt of Max Struess and Kyle Lowry combined 0 for 15, 0 for 12 on threes. And Jimmy Butler played a heroic 40 minutes, but the reality is he ain't right, guys. If you saw him in game four, he should not have played. The Heat aired. They won game three, the game he got hurt. He should have sat out game four. They should, I know you never want to say you want to punt a game, but Jimmy Butler should not have played that game. He was not right, and he was not right in Game 5. Four of 18 in 40 minutes. They drained him to the bone. He didn't have it. Um, Bam Adebayo, eh. And it was basically the Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum show in the third quarter. Jalen Brown really emerging in this series. He had a 40-burger the other day. Now he has a 25 spot. He's having a good series. And if you can give Tatum any help, Boston now one win away from the finals. It's interesting when you look at the Celtics playoff history since the 2010 finals. That was the one where they went up 3-2 on the Lakers. Lakers win game six in a route, and game seven was one of the worst played game sevens I can remember. I mean, it was right up there with Warriors-Cavs, the one where Kyrie, at least Kyrie hit the shot and LeBron had that block. Like, that was a tense game. This Lakers-Celtics game was like watching paint dry. It was awful. Kobe was terrible. I think he was six for 24. If memory serves, and I should look it up before talking about it, but Ron Artest, I think, was the hero with a late shot in that one. Lakers had just owned the interior with Gasol. It was just a bad game. But Celtics haven't made the finals since then. They have gone to the Eastern Conference Finals one, two, three, four, five times. They lost to the Heat, LeBron. They lost to the Cavs, LeBron. They lost to the Cavs, LeBron. They lost to the Heat in the bubble, not LeBron, Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo. And now they are about to take down the Heat with a win on Friday that would put them in the NBA Finals. Also, that would mean no straight fire on Monday. Your boy will take a holiday, a much-needed holiday. We're just a little time off the internet, a little time off the interwebs, although I will occasionally check out the IG because, you know, I like IG a lot. Uh, it's fun. It's easy. It's uh, mindless, uh, mindless scroll, if you will. Um, but there's not much to say about this game. I do want to point out, yes, I see your Instagram DMs. I don't read all of them because, you know, I got I, life, work, all that stuff. I also see some of your tweets, and somebody demanded that I talk about this Jalen Rose situation. Now, before we have a good interview with Mark Medina of NBA.com. I've known Mark for a couple of years, pretty thoughtful guy when it comes to the NBA. I try to sell him on a Damian Lillard to the Lakers deal. He's not really buying it, but you'll like it anyway. Before we get to that, I just need to quickly dive into this all-NBA thing because of what Jalen Rose said on TV uh, last night. All-NBA, as we know, is kind of a joke, right? Um, you know, the people who vote on it, like, I don't know what they're basing stuff on. Like, is it a minimum games played? Is it stats? Is it what your team does? 
Like what goes into it? It's all a mystery. It's a popularity contest. Let's be real. Okay. That's what it is. And Jalen Rose admitted he voted Kyrie Irving all NBA 13. Kyrie Irving played 29 basketball games. And Jalen Rose said he was, I guess if you're all NBA 13, you're one of the six best guards in the NBA last season or this season. I mean, I would say, why does Jalen Rose have a ballot? But that's not the point. Like, why is the media voting on all NBA? It makes no sense. Um, Like Kyrie Irving, third team all NBA. I know I have a checkered past with Kyrie Irving and I'm not a fan. Like, yes, talented basketball player. Yes, I have at one point owned a Kyrie Irving jersey back in Cleveland, the burnt orange one. It's sick. Um, I at one time wore Kyrie Irving shoes because they were comfortable. Um, I'm not, I'm just not a fan of him because he's not a winning player. He's a talented player, but he's not a winning player. And the fact that Jalen Rose would vote him all NBA third team. I don't know the rest of Jalen Rose's ballot, but I don't think I want to. I don't care. Now, oh, Jay, he knows more about basketball than you. Well, he played on the Fab Five, and he played probably a decade in the league. Yeah, he knows about basketball. But it's pretty clear he had some sort of agenda when he went into his all-NBA vote. Kyrie Irving, third team? Are you kidding me? Now, I I mean, I'm not going to sit here and dive deep into all-NBA because... um, you know, when you look at how they do the positions and stuff, it's like, it's dumb. Uh, Rudy Gobert consistently is one of the, uh, like, first, second, or third team, usually third. Is he one of the 15 best players in the league? Of course not. So the first team this year, center, Jokic, forward, Tatum, forward, Giannis, guard, Luka, guard, Devin Booker. I don't have a massive problem with that. I personally would have gone Steph Curry over Devin Booker. That's just me. Now you could say, well, Jay, you like Steph Curry. I do like Steph Curry. I like Devin Booker. Under no circumstances can you tell me Devin Booker is a better basketball player or had a better season than Steph Curry. Yes, Curry's efficiency was down a little bit, a hair. Devin Booker's numbers were incredible. Playing with a stacked Suns team that got first place in in the West in the number one seat. Devin Booker had a great season, but... Steph Curry was not playing with a stacked deck that Devin Booker had. And Steph Curry's numbers were, I thought, right there. And frankly, I would have gone Curry. Second team was Curry, John Morant, DeRozan, Durant, and Embiid. Third team, Chris Paul, Trey Young, LeBron, Pascal Siakam, and Carl Anthony Towns. Um, Like, I'm not going to sit here and nitpick over who should have been on here, who who, who got snubbed. I don't have major beef with Jokic over Embiid. And frankly, I know that I'm going to speak out of both sides of my mouth. I don't put a lot of stock in this because under no circumstances do I think Pascal Siakam is one of the best 15 players in the league. Sorry, I don't think that. Um, Would I have gone Carl Anthony Towns over Bam? Bam missed a lot of games. Cat had a good season. Minnesota made the playoffs, so people are going crazy. Anthony Edwards is the best player on that team. Did you watch a playoff game? I'm sure the numbers were great for Towns and people like him and his story, and I, I get it. But he's not even the best player on his team. How is he third team all NBA? It, it makes just no sense whatsoever. At any rate, I, I just don't spend a lot of time on that because, like, frankly, who cares? That being said, I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth. When I'm sitting here comparing Reggie Miller 
Bucks' career to DeMar DeRozan's, I could say, well, look, DeMar DeRozan was all NBA more times than Reggie Miller. Like, wait, but you just said all NBA doesn't really matter because the voting is skewed. Okay, well, what do you want to use? What metrics would you like to use to break down all NBA? And what metrics would you like to use to compare careers? Because if you're comparing somebody who played in the 80s and 90s to somebody who played in the 2010s, you know, scoring significantly up, right? Three-point shot, way, way up. Um, Pace, way, way, like so many things in the league are different now, like, you know, the defensive rules, obviously. But just because the rules have changed, I don't think that means you cannot compare. Like people still compare Dan Marino to current quarterbacks, even though NFL rules have changed, right? People still compare, you know, Babe Ruth with 1920s to current hitters. You know, they, they, baseball loves to do that. But in the NBA, it's like, oh, you can't, yeah, come on. They played 30 years ago. You can't do that. Like, Why? And so all NBA, in my opinion, all NBA kind of sort of matters for history. But in the moment, I don't know. It's just, it's just so undercut with... Look who's in the conference finals. Luka Doncic is there. Jason Tatum is there. And then the counter is, well, who cares about the playoffs? It's a regular season award. Well, okay, who cares about the regular season when it really matters who's left standing in late May, early June, right? What matters more? Do you want to have an awesome month of December? Or do you want to be playing big money, high leverage games in the postseason? So all NBA is a tricky discussion. Um, a debate that will rage, I'm sure, forever. But one that won't rage is we're getting we're hurtling toward a Boston Warriors series. Not going to break it down now, but it's pretty clear from my my eyes. And I talked about it earlier this week that the Warriors are not going to have it easy. They have steamrolled the competition in the postseason so far. They look like the best team, but Boston matches up very well with them. If they are able to win in six. I think they will have an entire, is it five, six days, seven days maybe? At, at least six days off before game one. So that's great news for Robert Williams, Marcus Smart. Um, and I don't know what that means for uh, the mitten, Gary Payton Jr. I, I don't, I mean, I think, I don't think he's as big of a factor in the series because there's no Boston guard that really terrifies you. Uh, no, there's no fear of God over any of these Boston guards going off the way John Morant um, can. Uh, Jalen Brunson is is more of a explosive threat. I would call Jalen uh, Brown a wing, and obviously Tatum's a wing. But uh, I'm looking forward to that series. It'll be fun. Um, East Coast, West Coast, uh, it should be exciting. Um, but for now, let's get to our guest, NBA.com's Mark Medina. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. You know a guy. Jason likes to think he knows everything when it comes to sports. I know what sports fans want. But for everything he doesn't, he knows a guy who does. Let's just say, I know a guy who knows a guy who knows another guy. Okay, let's welcome into Straight Fire a guy I've known probably several years now. Uh, he was at uh, came over to Fox a couple times, did some TV with him. He's now at NBA.com. He used to be at USA Today Sports. Mark Medina, Mark, how you doing, man? Jason, I'm uh, I'm doing well, all things considered. A lot of uh, tough things going on in the world, but yeah. uh, in this slice of life, it's nice to uh, to connect with you. It's been a long time. 
Yeah, it is. Uh, it's a tough time for everyone, but uh, you know, thankfully, we get a bunch of NBA playoff blowouts to take our mind <laughs> off of all the other bad stuff going on. But um, we're going to veer off the playoffs just a little bit. Uh, we'll get to the Warriors in a minute. I, I did want to start. Um, you know, the NBA offseason has been so crazy for a yeah you know, the better part of a decade. Right, once LeBron left Cleveland to go to the Heat, it really took off, and that's been the driving storyline. Mark, this was supposed to be one of the slow summers, right? There's not a lot of big names up. And all of a sudden, here in the last couple weeks, you know, the Jazz implode. And, you know, is Donovan Mitchell going to be available? And you start seeing the Kyrie Irving stuff come to a head. And the New York Daily News had a report about they're not going to extend Kyrie Irving. I mean, Mark, are we headed toward kind of a sneaky, interesting summer? I mean, Dame Lillard is out there. The New York Knicks are desperate to get back uh, to relevancy. Zion Williamson didn't play, but the Pelicans got good. I don't know, Mark. Uh, wh- what is your excitement level for this offseason, and who's the guy you're watching the most? Yeah, I mean, I've always become accustomed to the NBA is always going to be eventful, whether it's in the offseason or regular season playoffs. I don't know exactly what will happen, but I always have anticipated since I've been covering the league uh, with different roles in the last decade, that stuff will happen. Now, as it pertains to this offseason free agency, I think the interesting wrinkle is that there are no definitive candidates that have to make a quote-unquote free agency decision. I think that the only exception uh, that now will be interesting is with DeAndre Ayton with the Phoenix Suns mm-hmm. because, you know, before the season started, they didn't uh, the, the Suns decide not to give him that rookie max extension, even despite the fact that he had shown a lot of growth, especially in last year's finals run. He played a really good year. And then all of a sudden things just blew up in their face where he did not have a good performance in that game. Seven played limited minutes. It was, uh, you know, acknowledged from Suns coach Monty Williams that there were some internal things going on. So he's a restricted free agent. Technically the Suns can match any offer sheet that he gets but you know i can't help but think uh this is the end of his time with the suns but as far as everything else that all comes down to trades or extensions you know kyrie irving he has one year left on his contract but there was hope uh at the beginning of last season that the nets and kyrie would agree to an extension you know damon lillard's under contract but you know how much patience will he have with the blazers uh you know direction long term uh you're looking at russell westbrook technically He's a free agent, but I think that he has $47 million, 47 million reasons why he would exercise his player option. But then the next question is, okay, what do the Lakers do? Can they find an interested trading partner for him or they, can they negotiate a buyout? So um, I think unlike in last year's where uh, there were, you know, free agents that have to make a quote unquote decision like LeBron James had to do uh, when he was in Cleveland and wound up with Miami. Here, there's more complicated because it involves negotiations and trades. And with that, there's another layer of unpredictability. Yeah, let's start with Aiton because, you know, he's been an interesting one. I'm sure you read the story about his video game proclivity. And I get it. You know, young athletes like playing video games. He took it, you know, several steps a little far, playing until 5 in the morning, basically letting a reporter into his, uh, you know, video game world to chronicle everything. He's like, I wake up. After, you know, barely sleeping, then I get breakfast, then I play more video games, then practice, then it's home, and then it's video games, and it's like, bro, um, you know, are you giving a max deal to a guy like this? Uh, but that being said, you know, he's shown flashes where he's been good, but he also has been massively invisible. I don't know, Mark. 
what do you think the market's like for him? Is somebody going to pay him a max max deal? I don't know if he's going to get a max deal. I mean, he'll certainly get a lucrative offer, but I think you have to keep in mind a few things. Uh, you know, he did not have a good playoff showing. There are questions about, you know, just his makeup overall. And also in today's modern NBA, uh, the the market for a coveted big man, usually it's only reserved if you're an elite of the elite of the elite, a la Nicole Jokic and Joel Embiid. But when you're looking at DeAndre Ayton, I am just incredibly surprised at this turn of events because no question when he entered the league, there were some growing pains. But when you chart his progress, especially in the last year, when you talk to the Suns, whether it's Monty Williams, Chris Paul, Devin Booker, they really felt like he turned a corner with, um, you know, his work habits, his mental makeup, and his performances itself. And I know talking to people that were pretty close to him, I mean, his mother, uh, Michael Thompson, you know, the former Laker uh, who, you know, has a close relationship because he's from the Bahamas. Mm. They really sensed in the last year that he's been a right uh, – he's been – about the right things, and he has this growth mindset. That's not to say that he's this perfect guy or he's this robot, like you know, like the video games example. But there seemed to be uh, a turning point that this guy is going to be just scratching the surface. So much that Michael Thompson told me in the middle of last year's final run that he considered him the third best center behind Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic. Oh he come liked- on. He likened him to becoming the next David Robinson is going to be a Hall of Famer. And look, like your reaction speaks for itself, but there was that sentiment among people that were in his corner that DeAndre is just scratching the surface here. And um, as long as he continues down that path, that's the potential he can get. And now all of a sudden he's taken a lot of steps back. And even with all this, I don't think the Suns, are going to uh, keep him. And I don't even know if DeAndre Ayton wants to come back. I mean, even yeah. before all this, there was this question of, uh, would this be almost like Gordon Hayward a few years ago, a few years ago with the Utah Jazz, oh, where jazz, he remembered, yeah. hey, you guys didn't sign an all, you didn't got, you guys didn't give me an extension and allowed me to become a restricted free agent. Even though you matched me, that planted the seeds of, okay, you don't really value me the way I think I should be. Mm. But I think this playoff ending cemented from both sides. You know what? We're better off uh, both saying adios. Yeah, just give me two teams that make remote sense for DeAndre Ayton. Um, I, I, I don't think any contender, like a top 10 team, is going to want him. I think if if you're like a lower-tier team that can't get free agents, you know, like a Orlando, a Detroit, you know, Indiana, then you, you back up the brinks. Yeah, we'll take him. We'll, we'll take a potential star. And we'll see how it works out. But I, do you think any any legit contender is like, oh, we got I got to get in the Aiden business? I can't think of one. I mean, that's not to say that he's there's no market. But when you're looking about a legit contending team, um, I you know certainly not willing to offer a max deal. But uh, you know, even if it's just a lucrative deal, but it's not a max, I can't see that because you're looking at you know, say Portland for example. I think they're better off just sticking with Nurkic, right? He's a big man. Um, you know, this idea that uh, you're looking at teams that are thinking, okay, what do we need to do to just make one more move to suddenly get back into the championship puzzle? And it's not there, whether it's because of cap space or just positional needs. So again, I got to stress, it's not like there's no market for them, but when you're, you know, really uh, narrowing in on the type of team, 
Um, it, it's hard to think of any at, the, yeah. at this moment in time. Well, Portland, right? Dame, Anthony Simons, and DeAndre Ayton. I don't even know if that's a playoff team in the I mean, the West is so stacked. Uh, all right, let's go to Zach Levine, a guy I like a lot. I'm bullish on him. I'm curious, Mark, do you think Levine is a one, meaning like a Tatum, a Curry, a guy who can be in the MVP discussion, be the alpha on a team that goes to the finals? Is he better suited as a two? Uh, some people maybe think he's a three. Or do you think he just stays in Chicago and he's kind of the 1A, 1B with, with DeMar DeRozan? Yeah, I think he's uh, best being in Chicago. I don't think like he's a franchise changing kind of player, but I think that, you know, when you complement him with other all star caliber players, he can be any combination of like a 1A or a 2 mm. or a 3. Um, so I think, with that being said, the Bulls should certainly show financial commitment to him for his growth, his loyalty, the fact that, you know, he was willing and able to adjust his role to account for them getting a lot of good. Uh, talent last summer, you know, especially with DeMar DeRozan. Um, but yeah, I would not put him in the category of, you know, Steph Curry or any, uh, any franchise changing guys. But I would say at the same time, you know, for those that sneer at Zach Levine for getting the bag in the past, uh, I think that's overstated. I think that he was certainly deserving of that. Yeah. He showed that he is a much a uh, better player than, hey, this exciting young guy that knows how to dunk, right? Like, yeah. I think he is a complete player, but, you know, he's not a franchise-altering guy. It's interesting. You know, Andrew Wiggins, we're seeing him in the playoffs with the Warriors, and the people are like, oh, this is the guy we've been waiting for. Well, <laughs> you know, like, it's tougher when you're the one or the two in a crappy franchise, and then you go to the Warriors, and there's, like, no pressure on you. Hey, man, play D. Make your open shots, you rim run, you'll get a lot of points, and <laughs> we love you. Like, yeah, Andrew Wiggins is like your, what, third or fourth guy making, what, $35 million a year? Yeah, I mean, I mean, simply they moved the goalposts on the expectations. Wow. He was a number one pick. He was with Minnesota. He was expected to be not just the face of the franchise from a production standpoint, but from a leadership standpoint. And his game was inconsistent, you know, no fault to his own, but he just doesn't have the personality of being that 1A spokesperson that locker room leader and so i think with the warriors um he's very good with what's needed and that's not to dilute what is needed from him because it's very valuable he's a he needs to you know provide a wing uh, presence on defense and also uh be a complimentary scorer and i think to his credit not only can he fulfill that job description but he's not you know worried about his place in the pecking order or number of shots he's getting or things like that and when you're looking at his defensive responsibilities, it's been especially valuable because, look, I think Clay Thompson's still a really good defender, but just call a spade a spade. He's not the same defender that he was pre-ACL and pre-Achilles injury. And so with Andrew Wiggins' presence, not only has that mitigated, uh, you know, the absence that the Warriors have felt in the last, you know, two and a half years with Kevin Durant's departure, but it's also mitigated, you know, some of the other extenuating circumstances of Clay coming back into form, you know, Andre Iguodala not being the same player that he was during the dynasty year. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, all, all props to Andrew Wiggins, but it's also, uh, I think, a window into uh, when you're looking at guys that aren't, you know, the face of the franchise, franchise-altering guys, a lot of the times the team makeup, the culture, and the circumstances can dictate your success or failure. That's huge. I would agree with that big time. Um, also, Levine, you know, he had surgery, out. obviously. You know, you look at his numbers, and, I mean, this is a guy who 
never plays 80 games, 75 games. You know, he's always hurt. That being said, Mark, I'll, I'll make a prediction here. And in like 10 years, we can laugh about how accurate it was. This is a great shooter, right? 38% from three, 41, 38, 37. Like, just because he can shoot threes and he's long, I think he'll have a, a lengthy career. Um, you know, we're seeing guys like Nick Batum have a long career. Robert Covington, a second wind as a defender and shooter. Well, you don't have to do much. I think ultimately, um, you know, Levine's going to have a good career. Now, let's go away from ascending guys like Levine and Ayton to a couple guys kind of on the downswing, uh, downswing with James Harden. Any idea what you think becomes of Harden in Philly after the way they cratered out um, in the second round of the playoffs? <clears throat> Yeah, look, um, I think that the uh, that the, the Sixers need to cut their losses with James Ooh. Harden because this is a window into that his game is not going to age well. Uh, he hasn't shown an ability to adjust for the rule changes this year. Um, he has been really struggling with staying healthy and being durable. And third, uh, he just doesn't have the same explosiveness that he used to have during his time with Houston. I think that's a window into that, you know, he's to some degree a one-trick pony and that he he's not doing a lot of the intangibles in terms of taking care of his body. Now, I know that Daryl Morey obviously has affection for James Harden, and I know that they're also mindful. Look, James was acquired after the, after the trade deadline, so there wasn't as much of a sample size as they would have in a full season to be able to, you know, uh, address – the rust and fitting in with Joel Embiid and fitting in with everyone. But I think that all those things uh, are poor excuses because those might uh, be legitimate excuses if you're talking about a role player, but we're talking about a player who's an all-star caliber player. Um, but I, I, you know, just seeing how the Sixers and Daryl Morey is, I think that they will keep them and just put faith into the fact that they'll have a full season uh, that he'll make more adjustments to his off-season regimen and do a better job with, with staying healthy. But yeah. uh, I think this is a giant red flag with what he's shown the last few years with you know everything across the board, his performance, his attitude, and his durability. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. I never want to crush someone who hasn't really answered these questions, but Mark, if you look at his points per game, 18, 19, and 20, he led the NBA in scoring. COVID hits, and he just has not been the same guy. Now, I, I, I'm not. he's not really addressed this, whether he was impacted by it. We know his late-night action. He likes to party. Um, but he. if you look, he's also jumped around since COVID. Houston, Brooklyn, Philly, like— I, I don't know. I, am I giving him too much of a pass here? Am I being too kind to him? I mean, he gets to Philly, and, you know, other than the first two games when they destroyed some inferior opponents, like, it didn't work. Yeah. Um, no, I think I think the criticism is all warranted because, um, you know, he, he wanted to get his way to Brooklyn. And I think at the beginning of last season, he was backing up with his words with actions with, you know, having the right effort and not worrying about his shots and being a good playmaker. I think he's an incredible passer and it's an underrated part of his game. But the problem is he doesn't always tap into that. But I think to his credit, he did that last year. Um, you know, 
uncontrollable to a degree, but his shortcomings last year were it was the fact that he couldn't stay healthy. But this year, I think it was a combination of he didn't say, have the same mentality that he had last year of saying, hey, I will fit in and do what it takes. But I think also, um, you know, to his defense a little bit, uh, I'm sure that he was frustrated with the fact that Kyrie Irving was a part-time player and look like, you know, whatever, however you feel about mandates and the vaccine, the bottom line is this because of Kyrie Irving's refusal to do that, he wasn't available to his team. And, you know, clearly it didn't uh, rub James Harden the right way. It rubbed him the wrong way. And so I can see why that was frustrating for him. But at the same time, I don't think that James held his end of the bargain from a production standpoint, as well as, you know, staying healthy and that carried through in Philadelphia to what you alluded to his first few games with Philadelphia. He looked like, okay, the James Harden of old of his prime MVP years, but then it came back to the same uh, familiar story that we saw toward the latter part of his time in Brooklyn, where, you know, he looked sluggish with his effort. He wasn't as aggressive, um, you know, with his playmaking and his shot and, when the stakes were really highest in the playoff games, he just shrank from those moments. And I, uh, you know, every, every player is capable of redeeming himself, but you know, when you're seeing a pattern here, like I do, I can't help but feel skeptical yeah. about what he will do moving forward to address those things. All right. So Mark, I'm going to pretend like I'm James Harden's agent and you're James. Harden, <laughs> okay. I say to you, I pretend you, I'm James Harden. You're James Harden. So, okay. You know, Beard up and uh, grab a foot. No, I was going to say grab yeah, a yeah. 40, but somebody will get angry. All right. Um, so, James, you have a player option next season, $47.3 million. That's a lot of money. After that, who knows? Given your decline in play and the fact that you've made, this is crazy, $227 million as just a player in salaries. Obviously, I know the agent. I, I take some of that. And, you know, you've also made money in commercials and merchandise, everything. James, what if you opt out, right? You don't opt in, and you say, you know what, Sixers, give me three years, 80 mil. Give me three years, 75 mil. So I'll take a little bit less because you know what? I've never won, and I want you to win. James, what do you say? You doing that deal? Yeah, I'm doing it. I want security. I want to win. Um, you know, I want to give Daryl Morey, who's been backing me, yeah. For a while now, the ability to assemble a better roster. And look, I'm playing this character. I could never be James Harden. But in fairness to James, he has said on the record after the Sixers were eliminating the playoffs that he was open toward that discussion. Now, we'll actually see what he does. But, um, you know, while I am expressing some skepticism about his ability to change his game and get healthier and improve his conditioning, I do believe him when he floated the idea out there that he is open toward taking some relative discount so that Daryl Morey has more tools at his disposal to put together a better roster for him and Joel Embiid. I I like that. Now, it's funny, the names you said for him and Joel Embiid. Uh, Mark, Tobias Harris is on the hook for 37 mil next year, 39 two years from now. And I would argue he is your fourth best player because I think Tyrese Maxey, is better, at least he was in the last, you know, in the playoff run than Harden and Harris. Would you agree? Without a doubt. And look, yeah. I, I'm a huge fan of Tobias Harris and Tyrese Maxey. Like, I think they're great guys, they're complimentary players. You know, I think that the Sixers should keep those guys. It's about finding other guys that can, you know, 
be uh, offer more defense, offer complimentary shooting. But I also say it's not a good thing that they were uh, the second or third best players because James Harden was supposed to be that guy. So not an indictment on those guys at all. They brought forth the best effort. But I think that the fact that they outplayed James Harden in the playoffs is another red flag for James Harden because this is supposed to be his moment to shine. And look, it's not about shot distribution like, hey, if they're open, take and make those shots. But clearly, James Harden wasn't playing at the level of aggressiveness that they need him to play for them, you know, to make a championship run. All right. From one malcontent to another, Kyrie Irving. And the report in the New York Daily News claims that they're not going to extend him. I mean, Mark, what odds would you need to bet on Kyrie Irving just saying, you know what, screw all of this, screw all of you. I don't like you guys. I don't like anyone in the league. I don't like basketball. I'm just going to go be a vagabond. I'm retiring. What would you say if if, if I told you, you know, I, I give you uh, 50 to 1, Kyrie Irving retires this offseason? Any shot? I don't think he retires this offseason. Thankfully, I don't have to place money on this bet, even if it's 50 <laughs> to 1 odds, because, look, Kyrie Irving, his slogan is being unpredictable. So you never rule anything out, but I don't think that he's going to retire. But I also want to be surprised that there's more issues that come up that affect <laughs> his availability. I mean, look, uh, the whole idea of the vaccine mandate, uh, to some degree, that concern is now a non-issue when it pertains to basketball and Kyrie Irving's status for next season. But even before last season, when that was an issue, there were questions about his availability in previous years where he would take time off without much forewarning to the team. And, you know, he would cite, mental health and look like opponent. I think that's that issue needs to be taken seriously. But I think at the same time, when it pertains to Kyrie, there needs to be some professional courtesy where, you know, the people in leadership positions, i.e. Sean Mark, Steve Nash are given a lot more heads up about it. And I can't help but feel cynical as it pertains to Kyrie. To what degree is it really about that issue? Because, you know, he has shown, not good leadership traits. And the problem is he's an incredible player. He's one of the best players in the league. And in the modern NBA, especially in the modern NBA, you live with superstar headaches because for the most part, they're worth the headache because of their performance. But I think his leadership qualities are so bad that it's almost gotten to the point where it's not worth that. You know, I don't think it's worth it to the point that or the Nets need to trade Kyrie because they also have to keep in mind, well, he has an eye line in this corner in Kevin Durant. But I think it is concerning enough that I understand why they're hedging about giving him a long-term extension. I don't think they should do that. I think that they need to, you know, use this upcoming season as the final ultimatum for him. Okay, <laughs> let's see what you're about. Uh, here's your time to prove that you can finally lift this team uh, to become a championship contender. Um, this is your last chance to do it. Um, I, wonder, I wonder how he's going to react to an ultimatum. Kyrie Irving. Well, they don't have to say. <laughs> they don't have to announce, like, I'm yeah. announcing this is the ultimatum. But look, like, you can read the tea leaves. You connect the dots. They're not giving him an extension. This is their not-so-subtle way of announcing this without, you know, using a bullhorn. Yep. We'll wrap up with this, Mark. Where is Russell Westbrook playing next season in the NBA, and what did the Lakers get for him? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's another unpredictable question. Um, 
what should happen is the Lakers trade him regardless of what it takes or part ways with them. Now, wait, 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 wait. You said regardless. Wait, hold on, Mark. There's a report that teams are demanding at least one future first. Yeah. Um, would I, you go too if, if if need be? Yeah, I, I think Ooh. it's that dire. And here, here's the thing. I don't think that the Lakers are at that point. I think that certainly if they find a willing trading partner and they're able to get, you know, a decent package, they'd certainly entertain that. If they're able to convince Russell Westbrook to a buyout, they'd certainly entertain that. But I think that there's going to be obstacles on both of those fronts that the Lakers, I think, are resigning themselves to the possibility of, hey, let's we'll have to run it back with Westbrook and let's try to make the best of the circumstances with the hope that, hey, in theory, they'll have more than 21 games for Russ to play with LeBron James, Anthony Davis, a new coach. Maybe they can bring out the best of him. But I think that's wishful thinking for a multitude of reasons. One, while I do think that it's reasonable to expect that Russ will have more than 21 games to play with LeBron and AD, I don't think that problem is going to ever completely vanish because LeBron's going to be entering his 20th season. AD has struggled to be healthy. There is going to be this element of Russ having to play with and without those guys or any combination of that. Number two, yes, a new head coach. I'm sure that if Russ is still on the team, they'll try to do what they can to tap into him. But you know what? For whatever Frank Vogel show with his limitations, with his offensive savviness or adjustments, with uh, with exception to having him start as a reserve, they tapped to every possibility the last season of playing on and off the ball, being number one, number two, number three option trusting him to close out games even if he's not playing well, sitting him when he's not playing well. They spun the wheel on every possibility. Yeah. Uh, and then the third thing is that because of Russ's contract last year, that really put the war uh, the, the Lakers in a tough position of uh, really filling out the rest of the roster. And they've had to be on veteran minimum deals. And while I think in theory they did address their shooting and defending needs, the reality is that, uh, it was a veteran-laden roster that was prone to injuries, and the guys that were quote-unquote good defenders, i.e. a Dwight Howard or a DeAndre Jordan, their best days were behind them. Uh, getting guys that are quote-unquote good shooters, i.e. a Wayne Ellington or a Trevor Reza, their best days were behind them. So um, if they're going to keep Russ, with exception of their mid-level exception, they're going to have to convince guys to sign up on veterans minimum deals. And that's going to be even more challenging this season because uh, I don't think that they can sell this idea that, Hey, we're a championship roster after going through a season where they couldn't even make the play in 20. So with all that, they got to cut their losses. It's not going to be an even trade, but if nothing else, they can at least get some role players that can fulfill some positional needs that aren't veteran minimum contracts. Number one, and number two, they're going to remove the toxic, the toxic environment that will be there with Russell Westbrook. And I don't want to say like, you know, Russell Westbrook is this toxic person. Like I think that he is a competitive guy and he's bringing forth his best effort, but let's just call a spade a spade. We saw last year, he's not going to adjust his game. And I don't think that he's going to make any adjustments moving forward. If anything, I think he's going to feel more emboldened to be his, be his own self because there's a new coach in town. I like your idea of, you know, the Lakers filling out the roster with like minimum guys, role players. The problem, Mark, is there's a lot of competition for those guys this year, right? If you're the Milwaukee Bucks, you need to find some of those guys. If you're the Suns, you're probably yeah. going to need to find some of those. I mean, 
I don't want to go overboard here, but I think the Clippers right now with a healthy Kawhi and a healthy Paul George are going to be better than the Lakers. And you get the Lakers, uh, you know, all the trappings of being a Laker, but you just play for the Clippers. I, I think the Clippers might be more attractive to some of these role-playing free agents. Yeah, without a doubt. And look, uh, you know, again, with that exception to that taxpayer mid-level exception, in theory, this uh, potential Russell Westbrook trade is really the only way for the Lakers to build a roster. They don't have a draft pick. Um, yeah. And again, this idea of selling guys on better minimums deals, it's going to be even more challenging because of last season's disaster. Um, and then the other thing, I know this whole idea, well, you you don't want to try to undo a bad deal by accepting another bad deal and you don't want to mortgage the future. You know what? I think at the end of the day, as long as you have LeBron James on your team, you always have a chance, right? And he's unlike the years with Kobe Bryant where, you know, he's overcoming a season-ending injury. I know that LeBron is dealing with his own injuries and he's – 37 and he's in his going to enter his 20th season. But when he's been on the floor these last few years, he's been the LeBron James of his yeah. prime. And so I think with that, the Lakers need to have the mindset of, you know what, we're going all, we're still going to go in with this championship window and not worry about the future because you know what the future it's going to be when LeBron James is not on the team anymore. And then that's when we can build, the rebuilding, uh, the rebuilding process. This it, idea of, yeah. of not wanting to mortgage the future, and that already went away once you got LeBron James on the team, and once you went in on Anthony Davis. So that whole idea of oh, we don't want to give up this draft pick. Uh, again, yeah. you want to make the right deal, uh, but this idea of oh, we want to hold on to the draft pick, I, I think it's just fools. Do, do you? Uh, th- I'll, I'll wrap up with this. Do you think there's any shot at all that they go to Portland and say, listen, Russ? for Dame will attach two draft picks. I know that you're not going to like that Portland fans. Oh, come on. What do we want with Russell Westbrook? He's an expiring contract, right? After one season, you have Simons who you got to pay a ton to, and you get two future Laker picks. I know it's in the conference. It's on the same coast. It's probably a tough sell to lose Dame to the Lakers. But if I'm Dame, I say, geez, you know, I, I've got the rap stuff. I, I can move sneakers. Boy, if I bring that to L.A., and I'm with AD and the and LeBron. I I don't know. Is there any chance Portland bites on something like that? I don't think there's any chance. I mean, look, the Lakers would love to pull that deal, but I don't think uh, Joe Cronin with the Blazers uh, front office would do that. Uh, they want That's not to your build, first move, right? <laughs> they they want to build around the roster, and I think that they're just they're holding hope that you know, look, they're going to have a number seven draft pick. Um, you know, they already made some moves last trade deadline with trading CJ McCollum. Uh, that are giving them assets to build better players around Damian Lillard. But I don't think that they're going to, yeah. you know, entertain this idea of, you know, well, we're better off having Russell Westbrook. Instead well, of not better. Okay, so sorry. I know people are going to laugh at that, but better off, Mark, bottoming out, right? Yeah. Like the seventh pick is good, but history says, like, that's not like a fertile ground for incredible players. You need to be top yeah. three to get a superstar. And with Dame and Simons next year, they're going to be, you know, a non-playoff team and drafting, right, 7 to 12 or something. You lose Dame and you bottom out, you're looking at a top three pick the following year, right? Yeah. Yeah. And two future for first from the Lakers. I'm just saying you, that middle ground is, you know, Mark, you get caught on that on that hamster wheel in the middle and you're just never going to be great. I, I just, my sense, you know, talking to Joe before the trade deadline is that 
this idea that they're going to want to just start over and tear everything down from scratch. They're, they're not of that yeah. mindset. And look, there are some criticisms of that thought, you know, these last few years of, you know, maybe they ran the Dame CJ partnership too long because they didn't want to start over from scratch. They were still leaning on this idea of, Hey, we're still making the playoffs at least, even if we're getting a lot of early playoff exits, we pride ourselves that we're a small market team that's competitive. There is some gray area, but I, I don't, I would be very surprised whether it's not even just about Russ. I think it's even in general, I would be very surprised if Portland were to ever trade Damian I, I Lillard. I guess if I worked for Joe in Portland and I was one of his lieutenants trying to sell him, this, I would say, <laughs> you know, Joe, if you uh, if you look at the Atlanta Hawks, they were like a 60-win team with Budenholzer. That was great. We had some chances. And you know what we did? We tore it all down. Yep. And then we went and bottomed out, and we were terrible, and we got Trey Young. And then we were in the playoffs, uh, and we were in the play-in. We made the conference finals, I think, two years ago, right, with Trey Young. We're mm -hmm. exciting. We've got a full arena. You have to get bad and get a superstar. I, I don't think you get that at seven. But anyways, all right, Mark, we kept you too long. He is Mark Medina, NBA.com, uh, working with Fox during the NBA playoffs. Mark, keep up the good work, man. Thanks a lot. Hey, Jason, thanks so much for the kind words, and it's fun to talk hoop again with you.